This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. And the pitch is swung on, hit the right field, hit deep. Whitefield going back at the track over his head and over the wall. Do you believe that? And 29 other MLB clubs. Ramirez with a drive to deep right. Away back. Go Hey, it's a bomb out there by the Rocks. And boy, oh boy, this third inning is now showtime. It is a Judgian blast. All rise. Here comes the judge. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From humidors to spin rates to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to another edition of A's Cast Live. As the athletics move, I guess we would say up the beltway. I have been to both Baltimore and D.C. I took the train. I want to say you go down from Baltimore, Maryland, into D.C. You're definitely going east to west. I think. So they've moved up the beltway, as they like to say, out of our nation's capital, which was a lot of fun. It was great having Sean Doolittle on and and seeing baseball in D.C. and the shots of D.C. Uh, such a huge part of our country and our country's history, obviously, with the White House and the Capitol building and everything that goes on and just basically government and so many people – from around the world who are constantly going to D.C. Uh, a lot of fun. The A's playing there for the first time since 2005. Also a lot of fun is what's happening today in Baltimore, Charm City, where A's fans, you're going to, you know, you're going to listen here on the A's radio network and on A's cast, and you're going to hear Vinny and Alex. There's going to be a buzz in the background. A buzz in the background of the Baltimore Orioles and this great franchise, which has just been dormant for so long, is back. And it's a lot of fun to see. And I got to tell you, we're all we're all rooting for them. I mean, you're talking about truly one of the great organizations that's done many battles with the A's over the years. And that was the one thing. Whenever we would see the Orioles come to town and Ray Fossey and Jim Palmer would get together as their buddies. I mean, you think about, you know, matchups of the 70s. I mean, a lot of battles between the A's and the Orioles over the years. I mean, you just think about the success of Baltimore. World Series titles three, AL pennant seven, AL East Division titles nine, three wild card bursts, some of the greatest players to have to have ever played from, you know, Cal Ripken Jr., Brooks Robinson, Frank Robinson, Eddie Murray. I mean, you're talking about great players over the years. Jim Palmer, you know, the 420 game winners. I mean, they have had just Earl Weaver, one of the greatest managers. They're a big part of baseball's history. And they just went in an absolute dive. You know, looking at the notes today, the A's from 2018 till 2021 
had the fifth rest, fifth best record in baseball. Did you know that, Cody? I did not. I just know that the Orioles have been having hit 69, 70 wins. Okay. Since okay. So if the A's had the fifth best record from 2018 to 2021 and you didn't know that, which I don't even know who knew. You knew it would be pretty good. I didn't know it was fifth. Where did the Orioles rank in record 2018-2021? I'll refresh your memory. There's 30 teams in Major League Baseball. Well, since seeing that they haven't won over 70 games since 2017, this will be the first year because they're at 69 right now. I'd say they're dead last. They're 30th. Dead last. The A's were fifth best from 18 to 2021 in record. Orioles dead last. Do you even know how many games the Orioles won just last season? Now, right now, they're 69 and 61. How many wins did the Orioles have last year? I'll say they had 14 less. They had 55. No, 15 less, 54 wins. Not correct. They had 52. Oh, okay, even worse. 52 and 110 last year. They're now 69 and 61. 17 win improvement already. Since July 3rd. Who has a better record than they do? See, he didn't. I did this for my NBC TV hit today that you'll see A's pregame live with the great Brody Brazil. And I believe Bip, one of my all time favorites, is still doing the show with him. You're going to see this on NBC, but you didn't see me record this. So I'm testing your knowledge. Two teams have won more. One, one's real easy. Two teams have won more games than the Orioles since July 3rd. Dodgers. Easy. Number two, who's been the second best? Orioles. No. No, oh, Orioles oh, oh, are third. third. Third, Houston? Philly. I'll give you one Mets. more. That would be your Pacific Northwest Seattle Mariners. Mm, they've been and, pretty good. And the new contract of Julio Rodriguez, which, by the way, the more you read about that, fascinating. Like, if you would have been able – and this will get me off track. Pull me back. Pull me back. But if you were able, let's just go back in time and say, hey, Matt Olson, I'm going to give you a contract that's guaranteed for $120 million. But in the next 10 years, you hit all these escalators, triggers, whatever you want to call them, it can be worth $330 million. So that 330 is not guaranteed. you got to earn it. And if you're a team, because what, what's key about this contract and what could be the future is I can budget, right? Every single year we all have budgets. Our boss has a budget. We go to our boss and we say we want to go to the winter meetings again because the last official winter meetings was in San Diego, 2019. A lot of our loyal listeners, you enjoyed it. You heard all the biggest names in baseball. You heard front office people. You heard all the guys from MLB Network. We had Marcus Simeon on. We had so many different people. Uh, there became a, a love relationship between Cody and Kevin Cash of the Rays. I mean, <laughs> a lot of stuff was established. Well, we've gone to our boss and said, we want to do it again. Winter meetings are back in business. So, is it in the budget? Yep. We're going to San Diego in December for the winter, winter meetings, and now it'll all be on video. So when we have all these great guests, it'll now be on video along with audio. But everybody's got a budget, right? So if I have Matt Olson, 
for $120 million for 10 years, we'll call it, I can budget that. I know every year going in. I can work around it because I know that. Now, if he hits the escalators, the triggers, whatever you want to call them, milestones, and it gets up to 330, what do I care? He earned it, and he was a great player. And if he's a great player and he's earning MVPs or he's earning whatever, that means I made money as a business. Because if he's doing well, I'm doing well. That's the future of the game, hopefully. I love the ideas for these contracts. I love the idea uh, for team like we are now. Not saying we're going to be that with Howard Terminal. I, by the way, I've had a great text thread today. I did not get to see it. I guess they're going to have it on again today. And it is with Lauren Taylor, Oakland council member, has done an interview with Brody Brazil. I believe they played some of it yesterday. I didn't get to see it because I tape I tape every A's game. I tape every pregame, postgame, because they've got stuff in there that we can use, right? They tape us so they can use it. We're all one big happy family. And unfortunately, the game went 14 hours yesterday. So uh, while it said A's post game, it was still just like the eighth inning. It was a four-hour game. The average baseball game is down to three hours and four minutes. Okay? Three hours and four minutes. This game yesterday went 10 innings. You're like, well, it went extras. Of course it went long. No, no. It was four hours and two minutes. Four hours and two minutes. The nine-inning game is three hours and four minutes. So, in theory, to play 10, one extra inning, it took it took an extra hour. Four hours and two minutes to play just 10. So, I didn't get to see it. Uh, Brody has sent it to me. It's on YouTube. It is titled, Oakland Council Member Lauren Taylor Optimistic on Howard Terminal Binding Vote. And I asked Brody, Brody, you you, you 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 feeling good? He's feeling good. If Casey Pratt from ABC is feeling good and Brody Brazil from NBC Sports California is feeling good, I think we all should be feeling good. Because Brody will be totally honest with you, uh, especially with us. He's going to be like, eh. no, he's right now he's, he's, he's feeling pretty good. Where was I going with that? I'm you were, all you were talking about budgeting. If you can budget them out, talking about Julio Rodriguez's contract and budget. And oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. $330 million. It's great. Absolutely great. But back to the A's in Baltimore. It just goes to show, with the right pieces, you can turn this thing around. And that brings me, that's where you got to bring me back, to who? The guy who threw yesterday, Ken Waldachuk. I, I mean, he reminds me of a guy that I played against. He's not a uh, – you 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 know what? I don't think we're ever going to take you to a San Jose State game again the night before the night before show. You've been an absolute zoo today. Well, that's just my reminder to clock back in for my – Yeah, it's a zoo. I mean, you got all kinds of stuff going on people didn't get to see before the show. Show – I mean, you're a zoo today. Did that Spartan win? <laughs> it was a big win. That Spartan win last night over Portland State fry you for today? All I know is bring on out, bring on Auburn. Yeah, yeah. As we talked about yesterday, leaving the game last night at Spartan Stadium, San Jose State just didn't want to show the playbook to Auburn. That's why they struggled to the very end to beat this garbage Portland State team. 
we didn't absolutely blow them out and manhandle them like we were supposed to because we didn't want to show Josh Donaldson's and Tim Hudson's Auburn Tigers what's coming to War Eagle in Alabama. And off the top of my head, I can't remember where the hell they are in Alabama. Uh, I, where is Auburn? Let's see. It's Auburn. not Birmingham. Where are they in Alabama? Let's see. You uh, tell Bo Jackson and the Auburn Tigers we're coming. Uh, Jordan Hare Stadium's where they play. Um, it's in the. Where is it? You don't put Auburn football, but Auburn University will tell you. Auburn location is, it is in Eastern, Auburn? Eastern Alabama. It's Auburn, Alabama. We're coming to Auburn to take on <laughs> Auburn, Alabama. Population 76,000. Bring it. It's going to be a body bag game. Yeah, for Auburn. Yeah, so you're a little <laughs> frazzled today. Can you get it together? Yeah, I'm good Here now. on Ace Cast Live on a Friday? I'm good now. Back to Ken Waldachuk. Waldachuk reminds me of Scott Carl. Do you remember Scott Carl? I mem- I know the name, but I don't remember seeing a pitch. Scott Carl had a decent career. Pitched for the Milwaukee Brewers. He was a tall lefty. Uh, hid the ball real well. I think he had a 500 record. Look it up. I think he had a 500 record. And the only reason why I bring up Scott Carl is not Carl the K or C? K. Not because I'm a, a Brew Crew fan, even though I love me a lot of their broadcasters. 54 and 56 with a 481 ERA. Played against him in high school, and he was dominant. And no one knew who this guy was. He was from North County, San Diego. We were the dominant team, right? The high school team I was on. I was telling Alex Jensen the story today. We were supposed to – we were we set the record. We set a bunch of offensive records in San Diego. And if you don't know, there's been a few good baseball teams and baseball players out of San Diego. We were the favorites. And this dude out of North, North, North County came out and just blew us away. Couldn't hit him. Couldn't see it. He hit the ball, and it was nasty. And, oh, yeah, by the way, what, what was his – yeah, he pitched in Major League Baseball. He ended up having yeah. a decent little career. Yeah, 54 and 56. How much money did he make? He made uh, a little dough. Four, a 4 eight, one career ERA. He made – let's see if it has it. It should. He made $8.5 million. Scott Carl. That's yeah. who he reminds me of. Now I think he's going to be better than Scott Carl, but that's he, just the way he pitches it reminds me of that. And I'm thinking to myself watching that yesterday. Clearly the Nationals – had a game plan to that, and it's so different now. Like, I told you, I watch video on Ken Waldachuk. If I watch video of him, what do you think the Nationals had? They probably knew, and I'm not going to say probably, it was obvious. This kid's going to try and establish his four-seam fastball. He loves it. He throws it a lot. We're going to come out hacking. So what happened on the very first pitch of the game? See, these guys... I have to watch every game. I was watching it. Oh, actually, I missed the first like half Ex- inning. Exactly. See, or the second di- half of the first the inning. The difference between all the people I work with who they act like they're covering this team and the bozo like me <laughs> has to cover every inning of every game. Hey, I made sure I put out his first strikeout on Twitter. Yeah, I don't think I did. I didn't come down Amelia Schimmel's road when she's tried to come after me about extra innings games. I'm like, hey, did you watch this? Oh well, uh, 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 uh. yeah, is that? Yeah, you all love extra innings when it fits your time, when it fits in your schedule. But some of us have to watch the entire four hours and two minutes. <sighs> First pitch, guy swings at it. it's a double down the line. It, it went base hit, base hit, reverse K, base hit. Three out of the first four batters, Ken Waldachuk face got a base hit. They were hunting heater right out of the gate. They said, this kid's going to come at us. 
And don't wait till you see that secondary stuff. You get it. It's called grip it and rip it. And that's what they did. And I, I'm in panic mode. I have no idea how Scott Emerson is feeling. I should have texted him. Uh, I have no idea how Ken Waldachuk, Shea Langoliers is feeling. But how far is D.C. from San Jose, California? It's about a, what, a five-hour flight, six-hour flight? Come on, oh, it's six, six and a half, Let's no see. question. I'm panicking back in San Jose, California. I don't know how they're feeling. I'm panicking. If you drove, it would take 42 hours. It's 2,842.3 miles. 2,842.3 miles away from Washington, D.C. Yours truly is in panic mode watching this game going, oh, my God, this is not the start. I've been building this up. Can't wait to see Ken Waldachuk. We had Eric Valenzuela on, his former head coach. We're talking about how great this is all going to be. And he gives up three hits in the first four batters. Oh, you, you see this Stockton Port hat, how red it is? That's how red my face was. I was in panic mode. But not Ken Waldachuk. He settled down. And I haven't even given you the guest today, by the way, but this we're going to talk to Mark Kotze about it. It's Friday. It's the Mark Kotze Show. He is going to be here. Uh, Scott Hatterberg. Nice little career. He did something. What did he do? He did something that's the anniversary on Sunday 20 years ago. He, what did he, he hit do? some home run. He did. What did he do? What? He had to learn how to play first base. I mean, did Wash really hang out in his living room? Wash is going to be here next week, uh, Tuesday. Is Wash we, really in his living room? We got to ask Wash. Did he really think it was going to be that easy? But Scott Hatterberg is going to join us coming up here at one thirty. Mark Kotze for the Mark Kotze Show at 2 o'clock. And then the Eno Saris Show, National Baseball Columnist, who we now have every single week. And by the way, all the A's fans like to tell me when I'm wrong. Have you noticed that? And he's one of them, too. You guys love to say when I'm wrong. You love it. You love to throw it back at me. Would you agree with that? Yes, 100%. You guys love telling me I'm wrong. But you know where I'm not wrong? And finally, I'm vindicated. Starters innings, bullpen innings. Oh, that's right. We heard about that. Starters innings, bullpen innings. Eno Saris on The Athletic has written a term paper. It's not an article. <laughs> it's a term paper, and it's got graphs and pictures, and it's got a strap in, folks. It was it was one of those nights where I get done with the postgame show, if you don't know. After, after I do this show, then I do pregame, and then I do everything during the game, I'm gassed. I mean, it's already a full work day. Now I got to get back. Townie's got to get back up for the post game, so I fire down some coffee. Let's rock it with the callers, right? Well, when that show's over, I just can't come down and go to bed, so I got to find something to do. I read Eno Saris term papers. And you don't have – you should read it, but if you don't want to, don't worry. I did, and we're going to talk to him about it. The more bullpens pitch, the more exposed they get. And the more that number is, remember there was that number that they talked about that, well, you lead the starter in a third time through, and now all of a sudden his numbers are here, and you bring in the fresh arm, and their numbers are way down here. Well, the more these bullpens start to pitch more innings, the more these numbers start to even out. Because most bullpen guys aren't great pitchers. And you're asking more of them, and now just getting up there and blowing heat, numbers ain't producing like they used to. 
And as I've been saying, the tipping point is this year because your bull, you know how many bullpens right now in baseball, including your Oakland A's bullpen? They're falling apart. They're absolutely falling apart. And there's a, an entire month left of baseball. And what they used to do, the dirty little secret, September call-ups. We're now going to have 37 guys, and we can put as many guys down in the bullpen as we want. Can't do that anymore. Now you're in trouble. So whole article leading into September with 30-plus games left. We're at 30, but some teams are even more than that. You've got to cover a whole nother month of baseball with a bullpen that's out of gas. It says empty. The fuel says empty. And how you used to fill it back up like the Milwaukee Brewers have done to get them into the postseason the past couple of years, they bring in a bunch of new guys. Can't do it. And you can't ship guys back and forth to AAA because of the options. It is coming back to haunt them. And I love it. And I'm vindicated. I'm going to add this to you real, this in real quick. Who had the best bullpen ERA all of last year in baseball? Okay, you, every single time you ask me a question, there's like a trick question. It's, it. it's not a trick question. I think it is a trick. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to prove to you that every single time you ask me, there's something. There's, it's just not. It's not going to be the Dodgers. There's some. I, they were second. I'm just going to show you how I know you. They were second. I will guarantee, even though I do not know the answer to this, but I know you. I guarantee it's the Giants. It was the Giants. Where are the Giants at this year? I didn't know that. I just know how co- Cody doesn't add. There's always something to his questions. It's the Giants. Where are they at this year? Oh, uh, they're like 30th. Uh, they're eighth worst in baseball. That's in what? what? Bullpen ERA. Oh, okay. But in, in uh, bullpen war, they're like the worst. Yeah, and they're they're overusing their guys. That's guys like, guys like Dom way, Leon. We're, we're not overusing guys, and we're 20. We moved up from 28. With our horrific performance yesterday by the bullpen, check this out. We actually went from 28th to 27th. In bullpen war. I'm looking it up right now. Uh, where's war at on here? I'll find the bullpen. It's far right. I had it yesterday. Yeah, here it is. We're 27th. According to Fangraphs, war. The number one bullpen in baseball is the Dodgers. Uh, yeah. Uh, dead last, the Cubs. The A's are 27th. Uh, the A's. Think about that. We're not like – Eno you know, talks about back-to-back-to-backs, back-to-back, total over-usage – Running on fumes. We're not one of those teams that overuses certain guys, and we're 27th in war. Yeah, the Giants are 25th. Bullpen war. Yeah, 1.3 for the Giants' bullpen. They have 61 wins. They're 46 wins off of last year. And then how about, and in this article, too, we, I, I, I wasn't able to get this in with Eno, but one of the things the Giants did, ba- basically, we'll call it as we see it, um, it's uh, is Hattie there? No, he's not there. Yet. Those are our other other videos. Uh, the Giants basically are Moneyball gone bad. They've they've kept one less reliever so they could have one pinch hitter. Remember their big deal last year, record pinch hits and all that kind of stuff. How they utilize the roster, it's all falling apart. It's Moneyball. Last year was Moneyball gone good. They looked like geniuses. Won 107 games. Bullpen was great. Most pinch hits ever. Utilized the platoons, the splits. It was genius. This year, all falling apart. Record collapse. Record. 
Yeah, like I'm looking at it right now. Lamont Wade Jr. last year was a huge player for them. Uh, uh, essentially, I don't want to say 4A guy, but a guy that they got as a guy that was DFA. Pinch hitter. Yep, yeah, and he could pay, he had a bunch of pinch hit home runs. He had 18 home runs last year, hit 253. He's hitting 177 this year with eight home runs. Uh, you can't expect these guys to platoon every year and have career years. Before uh, Scott Hatterberg gets here. Yeah, he's still not here yet. Why don't we play? What happened today in the streak? So they have Sweeney, Tucker, and Ordaz on the right side, and Perez playing at shortstop. And over now at third base is Alisea, and Miguel Tejada is up for the A's. And wouldn't this be fitting? And the MVP champ, one out, bases loaded. Two outfielders, Ibanez and Beltran playing shallow. Five infielders, one out, ninth inning in a 6-6 tie. Grimsley ready. He deals. And it's a line drive base hit center field. Greg Myers scores from third. Tejada wins another ball game. 19 straight for the Athletics. They've tied the all-time American League record. There's a lot of cheering. I left it in here for... Ah, theater of the mind, setting the, setting the stage. The 1906 White Sox, the 1947 New York Yankees have company. And if that isn't another MVP statement by Miguel Tejada, I don't know what is. He is amazing. The A's are amazing. 19 in a row. 19 in a row. I mean, you think about that. Right at that point, you're like, wow. And then the next game, you're cruising. You're absolutely cruising. You got Tim Hudson. Recently, we had all the guys with the season ticket holders. It was a great event. And Art Howe admitted, yeah, my fault. I thought this game was in the bag. And, of course, it would lead to one of the greatest home runs of all time. Scott Hatterberg is with us here on A's Cast Live once again. We're just playing that cut, and, you know, I'm glad Miguel Tejada came back. It's his first time coming back as an Oakland A, not as a someone of, like, the Baltimore Orioles or the Royals. He came back finally just to be Miguel Tejada, the Oakland A, and what he really means to the fan base and the franchise. And I got a sense, and I know you got to talk with your teammate what it meant for him to come back. And we could celebrate him as truly one of the great A's. I don't know if you got to hear the entire cup, but that was him with the game winner, 19. He was huge for you guys down that stretch of the win streak. Uh, he carried us He carried us there for, I mean, it seemed like the whole last week it was just, it was the Miggy and then the rest of us. So, uh, yeah, he put us on his shoulders. It was great to see him back. The guy's such a humble guy. Um, you know, he doesn't come across as that, you know, all-star MVP guy. He's just a great teammate. Uh, he was thrilled to be back. We were thrilled to see him. Yeah. Uh, gosh, and he looked freaking physically cut. <laughs> I mean, the, he still looked like he could play. He was going to throw out the first pitch, and they said, hey, you're going to catch it. And I went, catch it? This guy might throw a bullet at me. Anyway, he looked great. It was great catching up with him. It was a great weekend. Yeah, it was kind of like, hey, Miggy, uh, you think? I mean, shortstop, maybe no. Can you play second base? Could we DH you? I mean, can you still? I mean, he looked phenomenal. He really did. He really did. And I guarantee if you put him in the box, he put together pretty good A.B. 
You know, I, I, I think about that weekend and just seeing you guys, because it's so different. We've done so much with the 70s teams that won 72, 73, 74, and we've lost so many of them. And, and these guys, you know, it was such a long time ago. For you guys, 20 years isn't that long, but it is time that you've been away and a chance to truly appreciate what you guys accomplished. Of course, it was an unbelievable year winning the American League West. But now that you've experienced that, what was it like hanging out with these guys because you mean so much to each other? Well, you uh, you um, you get back together and, you know, you haven't seen guys in a long time, but really good teams and really good you know, locker rooms, you seem to kind of just fall right back into the same jokes, the same, the same rhythms. And it's exactly what happens. We've gotten together a couple times, I think it, at the 10 year and whatnot, but man, you just go straight back in. You're just transported right back into the locker room. It's a really tight knit group. I think you guys had mentioned earlier talking about the, we were, we were talking to the season ticket holders. Yeah. It just felt seamless. I, I knew everybody. I knew when DJ got the mic, he wasn't going to let go for a while. And I knew the stories. And there's great rhythm, people jumping on. Um, there was just great chemistry. And I know it's so cliche to say that's what it takes. But honestly, I was in a lot of locker rooms. I played 14 years. And there was none that came close to the ones that I had in Oakland, and especially that team. So uh, there's something to it. I know it was a big part of you know how we were able to accomplish what we were able to accomplish. I think this weekend was really big for Art Howe. There was a lot of emotion, and obviously the movie that everybody loves, and of course you're, you're so prominent in the movie, but Art, the way he was portrayed, it, it definitely hurts him. And I did an interview with him after we did the event. I did an interview with him where he broke down and had tears when I was asking him about what does this mean to come back and get the love from the A's fans, because A's fans truly love him, he got tears and choked up. Just talk about what this weekend meant for Art Howe and truly getting his due that he deserves. No, I love that question. It's the one thing. Listen, Hollywood's going to make a movie. They're going to put. They're going to put some. They're going to have a. You got to have a Darth Vader in the movie, right? I mean, you got to. So this is the hot sauce they put on it, and, and he he was the guy, and he was just not that guy. And he is, if you know Art at all, he is, he was really for us the ballast to that team. I mean, he was so calm. Uh, I know him and Billy had a little bit of a turbulent thing, but we knew, I didn't know it until really the stories came out. He hit it. He protected us. Uh, the guy is just as even keel, as classy, as pro as they get. And, you know, he's a big reason we were able to, you know, maintain a streak like that. I mean, I can't say enough good things about the guy, and that's just the baseball side. Outside of the uniform, the guy is just the most pure, great guy. Uh, I can't say enough good things about him, and he really kind of got hosed as far as his depiction, and he would never come out and say anything to just ruffle feathers, you know, and ended up being a great movie for the A's, but he would never take it selfishly. So I love that he got out, and I think people realize, you know, this is a great guy. It's a it was a poor depiction for sure. Yeah, great story. Clay Wood told me that after 2001 that, you know, everybody votes that everybody gets whatever for the playoff money in their shares and that they left out the the grounds crew. And Art Howe took a check and wrote the money out that should have been the grounds crew uh, their share out of his own pocket and gave it to Clay Wood and told Clay, disperse this and I'm sorry 
it will never happen again. The guy took money out of his pocket to take care of the grounds crew when the players should have done that, and he and he made sure it never happened again. That tells you the type of man and the integrity that Art Howe has. I mean, that's perfect. I, I didn't even know that. I mean, that story is perfect. That defines the guy. Uh, you know, he, he he's the manager, but, you know, he never put himself above anybody. He was – he was a teammate. Um, anyway, we're, we're lucky to have a guy like that in, the, in just the A's history. And, and I'm lucky to have known him. So uh, I, I love hearing that story. That's a great story. All right. In the movie, you got Billy Bean. You got Wash in your living room trying to convince you on something. What really happened? And did you ever buy that yes from a catcher to first base? Well, you, they never showed up in my living room. Uh, that's one thing. I, I felt like he was in my living room. He called me. I remember on Christmas Eve, and uh, you know he's a big he's a big personality. So I felt like he was there. Uh, I think Wash was home definitely, uh, not knowing what he was in store for, uh, trying to teach me how to play first base. But I thought, man, I have caught my whole life. I haven't picked up a ground ball ever, um, and now this crazy guy wants to give me every day at bats and replace the MVP of the American League, Jason Giambi. I thought he was crazy, but I thought before he uh, sobers up, maybe just say yes, and I did. Um, and, you know, and after that, I just had a lot of sleepless nights going, how am I going to pick up ground balls? I actually had my wife hitting me <laughs> balls on a tennis court not too far from the house, which had pine cones all over it. I couldn't even feel those. Uh, and then I ended up spending a lot of time with Wash, but Wow, I did not think uh, what was going to happen happened. Well, and then the story you told to the season ticket holders, which I was like, wow, is the bat, right? Because you hit this home run, it's a historic achievement, and you know anything that has anything with history, they're putting a sticker on it and they're sending it to Cooperstown. Well, you've got a bat sponsor, and you're hitting a historic home run with a bat that's not sponsored. That's unbelievable. That's a whole other story a lot of people don't know. It, listen, it was a desperate situation. Some garage company had come by about a week prior. It was the most beautiful bat I've seen. I used it in BP. The ball jumped off of it. I thought this is a no-win situation. I've taken every single bat of my life uh, had been with a Louisville slugger, and this one time <laughs> I take this, this bat to the plate and hit the biggest home run of my life. Oh, man, when that when we celebrated in the locker room and that guy tapped me on the shoulder and he said, hey, Scott, I have a nice job. I'm so-and-so from uh, Cooperstown, the Hall of Fame, and I'd like that bat. And I said, no. <laughs> <laughs> and I handed that man a Louisville slugger. And uh, I told that story to Michael Lewis, and it ended up in the book. And um, – <laughs> Uh, Cooperstown didn't like that, and they sent that they sent that bat back to me with a sternly worded letter. Oh, that is that. that it, it's funny. It really is funny. But uh, thank God you did change that bat. Now, I mean, you've been asked about it so many times. You've seen it. We play the we play the highlight all the time. TV plays the cut. I mean, it's such a special moment in baseball history. Just not in A's history. Baseball history. It's an iconic moment. I mean, when you look back, do you ever get a chance just to just go, wow, I did that? Well, it's surreal, it's surreal to be kind of the, you know, the, the end of it or, you know, the climactic part of it. Um, 
having, you know, and it's, I can't, you know, I look at it and just, I mean, the, 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 the bat was a blur and for it to go out, I, I, you know, I don't know. It was just such a great moment, but it was such a great month. I mean, it was, this is like, it was like three weeks of us, of, of us doing this. And it was, it just built and built and built. And some of those last few games, there were so many people in the, in the Coliseum and, you know, Miggy came through. I think you guys were playing a few of them. Yeah. Uh, you know, there was some dramatic stuff leading up to it. Uh, you know, we didn't really even know what the streak was until late. Nobody, you know, really heard of a, you know, winning streak. So uh, it was a great moment. I look at it, you know, with a ton of pride, but it was such a group pride thing too, that uh, I get a little more credit, I think, than I deserve uh, just because the way it ended. But man, it was a great team effort for, geez, almost a month. Well, and think about it. This game's a blowout, right? I was actually, I, I was doing morning radio uh, on the sports radio station, so I had to get up early. It was a blowout. I went to bed. I didn't even get to see it live. It wasn't until I woke up at like 3.30 in the morning and knew what happened. I mean, this this game was a laugher, so I'm thinking about for you, you're never probably first X amount of innings, first couple hours of the game, even preparing yourself mentally for this, and then all of a sudden, before you know it, the Royals have come back, and now you got to be the hero. It was it was one of those swings of emotion that it's hard to describe. I mean, we we did it. We had all. I mean, if you look at that Coliseum, I remember there was there was fans and all those center field bleachers. I mean, they were everywhere. The place was rocking. The number was up. We had Huddy on the mound. We had an eleven nothing lead. And the lowly Royals weren't going to take it from us. And I'm drinking crappy coffee. We had I think the September call-ups were up there. You know, and I'm, you know, shooting the breeze with all these new guys. And we were going to coast to this and, you know, dump some champagne on somebody. And, gosh, smash cut to me up in our crappy, dingy cage with Greg Myers watching this stupid little dusty TV we have up there. Just watching it unfold and everything get quiet and going, oh, my gosh, we're going to lose this. And I'm going to have to go pinch it and against, you know, just a no-win closer in Grimsley. So, it. The emotion swing was just, it was something I've never experienced, <laughs> for sure. And then you talked about, I mean, at that point, Grimsley's nasty. Oh, my gosh, he's nasty. And I've faced this guy a lot before. And he's, you know, he's yoked up. Steroids, not sure, but he sure looked like it. I mean, 98 mile an hour bowling ball sinkers. How am I supposed to hit a ball in the air off this guy? I mean, I, I just remember thinking to myself, listen, let's just have a, you got to have some kind of plan going out there other than taking, you know, Thunderbolt the bat or whatever that <laughs> bat was that I had. Roy Hobbs. Yeah, right. I had to do something other than that stupid thing. But I just wanted to get a ball up in the zone. And the first pitch was a big power sinker, ball one. And I thought, oh, yeah, it moves even more uh, than I remember. And I just thought, okay, see it up. If it's up, try to get a, maybe a double get a guy in scoring position. And, you know, when you, I got a pitch up and I was on time and this that pure feeling. I don't know if you felt it in baseball or golf when it's just like, you don't feel anything ball jumps, the place goes crazy. It was an out of body experience. And I ran around the bases with zero poise. Um, it was uh, an, an amazing celebration and it's just kind of a blur of a moment, but my gosh. Yeah. I'm getting chills thinking about it. Yeah, and I think about your career and where we are today, especially with the A's. Now that you're working in the front office, 
to where, you know, we've got 8,000 catchers that we've drafted and traded for, and you only one plays, and I don't yeah. like to see young guys DH in a ton because that's not good for them. I don't think mentally that's good for them. And we had Langoliers on this program. I said, hey, where else can you play? We've had his college coach on from Baylor. He's played some outfield. Langoliers thinks he could play some first and some third. You know, if, if Susak's going to hit, you know, the first-round pick and he's coming up quick, got to find a spot for him if Murph's going to be behind the dish. I mean, you kind of showed, as you said, I played catcher my whole life. Well, guess what? We need your bat. You've got to find somewhere else to play. And wouldn't you say versatility is so huge for these young guys, whether you've played catcher your whole life or you've played short or right field, it's important for these guys to learn to play other positions. I, I think it's a great point. And I think, I, I think uh, more than, than, than doing it is being open-minded to doing it. I mean, this is the situation. You know, you get in the draft room and you, you don't really – uh, draft for need so much as you draft for the best talent that is at your pick. And, and it just so happens. I mean, we've had, we've had, we haven't had a good catcher for a long time. And then we get Murph who may be the best in the game. And uh, now we got Langoliers, like you said, Soderstrom and Susack. I mean, it is a log jam, but it's a great log jam. Um, the versatility part's huge. I, I think that, you know, if you can catch, there's certain positions you can go figure out. Uh, Shea is such a blue collar, awesome kid. I loved him at Baylor. So thrilled to have him. Uh, the one thing about the A's is, you know, certain guys like Murph, they get real expensive, and we have a hard time keeping some of those guys. So there's some poker chip kind of uh, sensibilities with all of this. So that's part of it. But, uh, man, I, I'm lucky, but I'm with you. I don't like seeing a really good player like that just DHing. Uh, I'd love to see him wearing the leather somewhere. You know, I, I let's end on this, and we always appreciate your time. I mean, obviously, you're etched in A's history forever. So whatever you want to do, I mean, you were great on television. You've now worked with Billy for years. You know, when you think about looking forward long-term for you, what do you want out of your baseball life? Wow, good question. Sound like my wife. <laughs> <laughs> Well, listen, I played a long time and, and, you know, while playing, you know, they, you're gone a lot. And that's, a, I mean, 10 months of the year, you're on the road. I've been really fortunate uh, to be a part of this organization, which there was no question as to where I wanted to be. And Billy was so, uh, you know, op open about me doing a lot of things. And I have done a lot of things. I've done the player development, the coaching side, and, and the scouting side has been really interesting. And I love it. Uh, I, have a, I have one more kid. Um, who's actually playing soccer at University of Arizona. She's a freshman. So I kind of got to push off a little bit of the really dipping, uh, jumping in the water uh, completely as far as uh, immersing myself in the whole front office thing. I want to be away a little bit and support some of that, see some of those soccer games. But I don't know. I like a lot of things. I don't know exact, exactly what direction I would love to go, but I just know one thing. I want to be in the green and gold. Anything, anything doing that with them is great, perfect for me. Well, whatever you want to do, you can do it. Hey, maybe maybe we get an all-fly fishing team, and you can lead the fly. Okay, you're on the Christmas list. I like that. <laughs> we'll go to Dave Cavill and say, hey, we're going to start competing in fly fishing. We got hey, we we can put a team together. I know Billy can do it. I know you got me. Maybe we put a okay. team together. Oh, we got a team. You, okay, <laughs> now you got my the wheels are running. I got it. I'm on it. <laughs> Hey, thank you so much for your time. We always true appreciate. We always do appreciate when you come on Ace Cast Live and to to celebrate this moment. It meant so much. 
it meant so much to you guys. It meant so much to the fans. That team is just such a special team for for Oakland A's fans. It's just we all felt it, and and I'm glad that you guys all got together. It was really cool stuff. Huge proud moment for us. Uh, We we love Oakland. You could tell by the turnout. I mean, gosh, how many guys showed up for that thing? Um, Yeah, no. Well, I I know it meant a lot to them, but it meant double to us. So we're proud to be uh, part of the Oakland Nation, and I appreciate you guys having me on. Take care, and you be well. Be well, guys. The great Scott Hatterberg joined us here on A's Cast Live. Good dude. Great hair. Should be doing TV. Well, he did do TV, what, a couple but years that's ago? That's not his, like he yeah. says, he's great at it. It's just, it's not his thing. Like, he could be great at it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, but I remember seeing you gotta him. You got to travel. See, that's the thing. I've said this. I've said this for years. You now have the modern player. Okay. The modern player. And because of baseball reference, we can we can go to baseball reference and we can look up how much guys made in their career. And I, I, I remember the one guy that they always, because like Home Run Derby, remember when Piazza sucked in Home Run Derby, but they'd bring him in and uh, he'd do the broadcasting. Everybody's like, oh, Mike's a natural. Mike Piazza's going to do Home Run Derby. Mike, Mike Piazza's going to be a broadcaster someday. Mike Piazza made like $160 million. Mike, Yeah. Mike Piazza's not – like these guys have all – they don't – they don't – years ago, players always became broadcasters because it was, it was staying in the game, love of the game, and the paycheck. Well, you know, a lot of these guys don't need the paycheck. So it's like they've got to really love it. I mean, it's not easy, and I know we look at it and go, cry me a river, but it's not easy to be flying into Pittsburgh or Tampa at 3 a.m. and getting to your room and getting a few hours sleep and waking up the next day and, all right, give me coffee, let's go, time for another ball game. I mean, these trips, these seasons, I mean, people are dragging. They're dragging at this time of the year. I mean, it's just, it, it, it is. I remember for me, before COVID, like, when I was traveling with the Raiders full-time and then I'd hop on and do some A's trips, by the end of the year, I was like, ah. Oh. And I wasn't doing every trip. It just it wears on you. Planes and buses and hotel rooms, and I don't care how nice the Four Seasons or the Ritz-Carlton is, it's not your bed. And when you're gone for 10 days, it gets old. So to get these guys to make this type of commitment, it's not easy. That's why you – have we seen a mega – superstar, high-paid guy say, yep, I'll do the grind every day. I'll be in it. No, the only guys that, like, do it full-time, though, were pretty big-name players, but this is back in there when money wasn't as big. Like, Eck does it, but Eck's retiring now. And David Cohn are the only two guys I can think of that work for a team. David Cohn made a lot of money. Keith Hernandez. Eck made good money, no doubt. Eck's a multimillionaire. Keith Hernandez, maybe, but there's not a lot. Keith Hernandez, no, those guys, I mean – they weren't making twenty million a year. I think David Cohn. I would say David made. Here, I'll look at Eck. You look at. I think Code probably made over sixty million. Because he he got there at the at the very he was still the hired gun in the late nineties guy when guys were starting to make. Yeah, he made sixty six million. Eck made. I mean, sixty six million dollars. Eck, if you round up twenty eight million. Yeah, I mean, Eck doesn't have. I think mean, Eck loved it. But, yeah, David Cohen would probably be the, the one guy because now 
these guys are signing contracts at $200 million. You think they're going to be flying around? I mean, they may want to do some home games, right? I mean, we we could – Eric Chavez wasn't – and Eric was not going to do – get on that grind. Now he's on that grind as a hitting coach. But I'm just wondering if there's, a, there's not a big-time, huge contract guy that's now went, yep, I'll sign up to be a broadcaster. Like, like Kruk and Kipe. Crook and Kipe have made – Ray Fossey made more money as broadcasters than as players. Like, I'm looking at Earl Horsheiser because he travels a lot for the Dodgers. He made 35, 37.5, so around $38 million. Yeah. But, again, he didn't get – I mean, the most money he made in the season was $4.3 million. Like This guy was the best pitcher at one time. Yeah. Cy Young, before he got hurt, his shoulder, her oral was – Ace fans, you know, 1988. Didn't Hattie do all? Didn't Hatterberg only do like 20 games a year or something? It was like he was doing 20. Yeah, it was the like start of, of saying, Ray, you don't have to do every game. Yeah. Because Ray wanted to do every game because that's Ray. Ray was a workhorse. Ray wanted to do every single game. He didn't even like the games that, uh, whether it was Fox Sports or Comcast, they didn't even have, if they didn't have a game, it pissed him off when he had to only do radio. I mean, Ray wanted to work every day. And you had to be, hey, we got to bring some guys in. Ray, you don't have to do every game. So that's who we started bringing guys in. You know, brought in Mulder, Chavez. Like, Mulder, you're not going to get Mulder to do every game. Yeah. No. Like like I mentioned to you the other day, I was like, I was hoping because the Braves are here Tuesday and Wednesday. Oh, Braves got back to me. They said they're going to check with Ole about coming on. So Matt that's, Olson, that's good let news. me tell you something. I have relationships with people. Like, if Matt Olson. And it was like, oh, Matt Olson can't come on. I would literally yell at him from across the field while we're doing Ace Cast Live. What's up? Like, that's why Donaldson – Donaldson's always going to come on because if Donaldson doesn't, I'd be screaming at him because <laughs> he's right there behind us. Well, he's taking grounders to third base. Yeah, J.D.'s my guy. But Olson knows. You don't think Chapman came over? Yeah. You right. think Chapman's going to go take ground balls and say he can't come on Ace Cast Live and not hear it from me? Yeah. Not to say that they wouldn't still blow up, but they're not. I have a relationship with these guys. I had to build them up for all these years. The least they could do is take <laughs> care of me now. Yeah, so we're hoping to get uh, Olsen. Well, I will literally – I'll walk over as Olsen's taking ground balls and go, bro, really? We're also hoping to maybe get um, – winning here back to Orioles so they're going to check. Maybe we're going to have our good friend Brandon Hyde back again over the weekend. What about Wash? Wash will be here and Walt Weiss. What about Walter? The, the one I was talking, what I was getting at was I asked her, I said, do you think Tom Glavin travels with the Braves? No, Tom Glavin doesn't travel with the Braves. You don't tell me what to come out here and play Pebble? You, you kidding me? You can't get Tom, Hall of Famer Tom Glavin. How much money did Tom Glavin made? Well over $100 million. You're not getting Tom Glavin to travel out here. I mean, we'll, we'll see our good you friend. You got no chance. We'll see our good friend Chip Carey, at least. Oh, yeah. He's the man. I'm wondering who's going to do TV with him. They have like nine guys that feel like they have a they have a pretty good Tom team. Glavin would not travel out west unless he unless he had something going on. Uh he made hundred and almost hundred and thirty million. Exactly. Tom he's Tom Glavin. He's one of the greatest pitchers of all time. Friend of the program. You think you're gonna get Greg Maddox to do anything? Uh, no, you can't. He's hard to find. You better go to Vegas to find him. Yeah. And you better go to the first tee, because otherwise Greg Maddox is a ghost. You want to talk about a guy that is the most unassuming. I don't know if I've ever told the story, but at the end of my illustrious career at San Jose State, I be, I was kind of getting, well, was I going to coach? Was I going to broadcast? I actually, a couple of years, went down and did camps at the Las Vegas School of Baseball. Okay. My best friend who we were with last night, Dean Matson, his twin brother, 
who played for the Cubs. He's now works for the Red Sox. I saw him at a Cal baseball game. He's one of the top <laughs> top guys for the uh, Red Sox brass. He used to run the Las Vegas School of Baseball, so we'd go down there for these big Christmas camps. And Maddox, being a Vegas guy, knew all the guys. Maddox would come out. Maddox would come out. He's in just like a regular jacket, glasses, hat. He's talking to everybody, and he's driving just a, a, a nothing fancy Lexus. It's a Lexus. It's a Lexus. I mean, it's not fancy. I got a Lexus. It's not fancy. I uh, mean, it's it's nice. I was going to say Volvo. He looks like a Volvo guy, but. It's nice, but he's not some $100,000. He's in glasses, some golf hat, and a golf pullover. Comes over, talks to people, gets, gets his Lexus and goes home. He's like Tom. Dude, this when he came to talk to us, he is Greg Maddox. He's winning Cy Young awards. He is the best pitcher in baseball. He's a star. That guy could walk down the street in Vegas. No one even knows it. He didn't care. He didn't care. And now, as all these other guys, they write books and they do this and they do that because they want to keep their name in it. They have restaurants. They have this. They have that. Not Maddox is just playing golf, living his life. If, if he I- he did coach. At UNLV because yeah. his son was there, and he would never come out of the dugout. I wouldn't either. He'd never come out of the dugout. One and of the- he wasn't in full uniform either, and he was one of the coaches. I mean, he's Greg Maddox. He can do whatever he wants. If people want to see a good video of Greg Maddox, watch him. Just YouTube or Google the Chris Bryant, Greg Maddox. Did you ever see that one where he dressed up as just a random guy? And, and oh, pitches BP. Yeah, and Chris Bryant's like, oh, this, guy's, this guy can really bring it. Who is this guy? And then he takes it off, and he goes, oh, because they're both Vegas guys. So yeah. it was pretty funny. The great Greg Maddox. A-, a team will be in Vegas, and I bet he'll be somewhat a part of it. I don't know what part of it, but, you know, when you think of, I mean, a lot of great players have come out of Vegas. I mean, you've got one of the best right now, Bryce Harper. Yep. You said the Phillies were done. I said they weren't. I said they weren't. I mean, the guy that single-handedly turned around the Dodgers season, Joey Gallus from Las Vegas. Uh, <laughs> uh <laughs> Chris Bryant, they've had they've had they've had all kinds of guys come out of bed. Uh, Matt Williams. Yeah, I'm trying to think if there's any big pitchers that came out of Vegas. Actually, Matt Williams, all my Nevada brethren would would tell you Carson City, which is northern Nevada, which is high desert, which is their state capital, which is right just south of uh, Reno. It's where Dean's from. The little the biggest little city in the world, right? But he went to UNLV, so he he's he's kind of a Vegas guy. I mean, UNLV's produced a lot of great guys. They will there will be a major league baseball team in Las Vegas. And I guarantee you, somehow, some way, Greg Maddox will be a part of it. It says Barry Zito was born in, in, from Vegas. I know he has Vegas ties. He's a dad Sandy, he, yeah, he grew up in San Diego. Yeah. I'm just trying to look and see if there's anyone else. Yeah, the biggest one's Maddox. But we do know that there is Harper and Gallo and Brian. Brian. Why, they don't have them there? No, I put pitchers. I just oh. put baseball players. Oh, Harper, Chris Bryant, yep. Yeah. Paul Seawald is one of the best relievers for the Mariners. Bryson Stott, he played at UNLV, the Phillies' top, uh, what is he, a shortstop? Keep going down. What else you got? Eric Fetty, who pitched against the, the A's the other just, day. Yeah, just pitched. Tommy Pham, who's been traded like eight times this year, and don't make him mad. Tommy Pham's from Vegas? Chris Carter, A's legend, is from Vegas. Oh, all the fans told me in Sacramento Chris Carter was going to be the greatest home run hitter of all time. How'd that work out? Parker Dunchy, who's in the A's system. Or was I don't know if he's st- he still might be. Yeah, he's still around. Yeah, so that there's there, there you go. go. Coming up next, it's Friday. What happens on Friday? 
Marcate. It's the Marcate Show right here on A's Cast Live. The Coliseum has gone by many names, but none better than The Last Dive Bar. Hi, everyone. Ken Korak here, and my friends at Last Dive Bar are helping us celebrate our longtime home. Last Dive Bar has the most unique merchandise for all Oakland baseball fans. T-shirts, sweatshirts, the Ray Fossey line, and my personal favorite, the lights have taken full effect. Visit their website at lastdivebar.com or follow them on social media at Last Dive Bar. All proceeds are invested back into the A's Community Fund and their affiliated charities. Go to lastdivebar.com. That's Last Dive Bar. The Eno Saris Show is sponsored by Fieldwork Brewing Company. With eight taproom locations in Northern California, Fieldwork brings you fresh craft beer direct from the source. Fieldwork will also ship beer direct to your door if you live in California. Visit fieldworkbrewing.com. A's Cast Live continues from the town. Here's Chris Townsend. Nestbedding.com. Love where you sleep. Use the code Oakland to get 10% off your entire order, your bed, your sheets, pillows, all that great stuff. Go to nestbedding.com. Use the coupon code Oakland. You're in Baltimore. How are you? I'm doing all right. Yeah, we're in Baltimore. I'm in the the office uh, getting ready to start the day. You know, when I think about getting back to Baltimore, you know, for so many years, it's been so sleepy and the fans haven't been fired up. Just it's going to be a whole different atmosphere. It's a great baseball city. Uh, What do you think it's going to be like the next three days? No, I think the energy will be great. Like you said, uh, this team's, uh, you know, in a wild card race. They're playing really good baseball and uh, the city is behind them and the crowd should be really electric for the next three games, uh, which is exciting for us, exciting for our, our ball club as well. Yeah, and I think from from the standpoint of your club, and maybe you can look back at your career, when you were a young player and you got to go to an away stadium and there was that vibe and there was the playoff vibe and things were, you know, things were, as you said, electric. What is that like for these young guys and what can they learn? Well, you know, we had that crowd. We had that energy uh, Saturday, Sunday at home with that Yankee series. It was great. Um, so we've been in the environment. But as you said, you know, it's different on the road. Um, but at the same time, uh, I think our guys will feed off it and, uh, and use that energy. Um, you know, it, it's always great to, to be in a situation where you uh, are playing good baseball against good teams and getting a getting a handful of experiences that will only help you mature and, and, uh, and you'll benefit from, you know, going forward. You know, you just can't always look at a box score and say, Oh, that's how somebody did. I think Ken Waldachuk yesterday, the fact that he gave up the five hits, walked four, only gave up one struck out six tells you what kind of stuff this kid has. He was very impressive. You know, now that you've gotten to see him his first time out there, what's your first impression? Yeah, you know, big-bodied lefty, uh, a competitor. He uh, got himself in trouble uh, right away and pitched out of it. Um, You know, he gave some hits in the first, kept his composure, kept throwing strikes. Um, You know, he started using his changeup later in the game. So I think we we definitely have something to work with here. Um, You know, it's it's going to be a a learning curve, uh, as it is for all of our young guys. Um, you know, and recognizing their strengths and their weaknesses at this level 
they're going to be different than than what they were in AAA. And uh, you know, it's our turn to to kind of help him grow, uh, help him get better, build off this last start. And as you said, you know, the box score, um, you know, may not have, have represented just the true, uh, you know, performance. Um, you know, and and that's a good thing. It means we can we only got somewhere to go from there. He really hides the baseball well. As a left-handed hitter, how tough is it to see a left-handed pitcher when he's hiding that ball behind him for so long? Yeah, you know, there's some deception to it, like you're talking about. And, uh, you know, there was uh, only one lefty in the lineup yesterday for him. He did a really nice job against him, um, you know, the Garcia kid. So, uh, as you talk about, we'll, we'll continue to kind of, you know, evaluate him, understand what he does well, um, what we need to work on. And uh, and as you talk about, you know, the deception to the breaking ball left on left, uh, the change up, as I as I mentioned earlier, uh, looks like a plus pitch. So uh, he's got the arsenal. And uh, and as you talk about as well, he struck out six uh, in five innings, which is which is nice. Yeah, I mean, I I know you're living moment to moment, day by day. But for A's fans, you start looking at, wow, Ken Waldachuk, you got Sears going tonight. I mean, you got some guys that you look into the future. It's it's hard not to be excited about some of these young players. Yeah, I don't, I don't disagree with you at all. And, uh, you know, exciting to get a look at these young players uh, for the next 30, 30 plus games, uh, as you talked about Waldachuk. Uh, you talked about Sears, uh, Martinez, who's in the rotation now. Um, you know, Langliers has been here, um, but also, uh, you know, I think we've. I'm not sure what the record is, but in terms of having 17 rookies make their debuts, uh, I'm assuming we're approaching some type of record or have gone. You through. own it. You own it. <laughs> we're uh, we're definitely giving guys opportunities. You know, we're getting looks at just about everyone. Um, and, you know, again, we're still here to win baseball games. Dermis Garcia. Like, I watch him and I say, I, I just, I want to see him play every day. This kid is big kid, swings with bad intentions. Uh, he's hit in the past. And he's still young at 24 years old. What's your scouting report on your first baseman? Yeah, um, as you talk about, he's 24. He's grinded through, you know, six full seasons in the minor leagues with the Yankees. Um, you know, I think this was a great six-year free agent pickup for us, um, and we're we're getting a good look at him right now. Uh, he's starting to, you know, play regularly, and uh, the you know the home run he hit in. Uh, uh, oh. Help me out here. Where were we yesterday? DC. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the home run he hit there. There's only I mean, 31 left, Koch. We only got to get through 31 more. <laughs> second longest homer in this in the stadium. Uh, you know, so he's got the power. Uh, it's going to be whether or not you know he can reduce the strikeouts, and and that's something that we're going to have to evaluate and, and help with. Yeah, that seems to be something with so many of these young guys. It's so different from, like, your generation. I mean, it's even with Langoliers. Langoliers, uh, he's so exciting. He's dynamic. And, I mean, my God, yesterday, home run, double. But yet there's still a lot of strikeouts. I mean, I, it's it's it's. what do you guys do from a hitting standpoint to try and limit that? Because isn't that also kind of a mindset? It can be a mindset. Uh, it can be, um, you know, 
a willingness to sacrifice something. If you're sacrificing maybe the pull side when you get two strikes deeper in the count, uh, you're sacrificing the fastball and trying to stay on the breaking ball. So um, there is there is a certain aspect to the mindset and and the uh, the mentality. Um, you know, for Shea, uh, he's getting pitched differently than maybe he was. You know, in his first 25 at bats, the league makes adjustments pretty quickly. Same with Dermis. We saw a lot of spin yesterday uh, down below the zone. So it's, you know, it's his turn to make that adjustment. And, uh, you know, the other aspect of all of this is that strikeouts are viewed as okay now. Uh, you know, most guys have between a 22 to 30% strikeout rate that, that slug a little bit. And these two young players we're talking about slug. So they're, they're going to have their moments they go through and uh, we have to just be patient with them and continue to, to, uh, to help them uh, grow in their mindset and then their approach. Just take us back. Cause it wasn't that long ago. If Mark Kotze struck out three times in a game, how were you feeling? I snapped my bat, my helmet probably <laughs> broke something in the bat rack. Um, <laughs> There you go. You wanted that one, didn't you, Tony? You set it up. Yeah. Oh, I, a Bip Roberts. I mean, right I mean, I mean, think about that. When we were growing up, those Padre teams, when you got like Tony Gwynn, Roberto Alomar, Bip Roberts was like, if you struck out three times in a game, people are looking at you like, what is wrong with you? Yeah, exactly. And uh, and that's where I say times have changed. Um, you know, an out is an out. That's how it's kind of viewed now. And if you've got power. You know, I think the the give and take is, you know, do you want uh, a slow base runner at first base because he, you know, put a ball in play? Or do you want him to kind of continue with the mindset to drive the baseball out of the ballpark? So there's a balance to it for sure. And I think uh, that's where, you know, the good teams, if you're looking at the division uh, leaders and the Dodgers and Yankees and, um, you know, Cleveland's an exception. Cleveland doesn't slug a ton. Uh, they put the ball in play and they collect their hits. Jose Ramirez is the exception in that lineup, but he still doesn't. I, I don't think his strikeout rates that high either. So uh, that's a team that, that utilizes putting the ball in play and, and they're, uh, you know, ahead in their division. We got an interesting dance here in the final month. Cause back in the day, you're able to call up a bazillion relievers and then you're going to, you know, if, if your bullpen was a little tax, it's okay. You got all these guys coming up from AAA. You don't have that anymore. Obviously, starters, relievers, are you going to try and maybe get a little more out of your starters to help these relievers out? I mean, how, how do you think this is going to work the last month? Because there's still, like I said, 31 games left, some tired guys, and you don't have a bazillion arms coming up from AAA. Yeah, I mean, we still can use, you know, um, the option for players that, that have options left. Um, I think that's why you have – uh, you know, the minor leagues continuing their season. AAA doesn't end until I think uh, September 18th in or around that date. And so that, that gives us, you know, an opportunity still to, if we need to swap somebody out, if we need to get a fresh arm, you know, we can do that. Whereas like you talked about in the past uh, with, with the 40 man call-ups being unlimited, you could stock the bullpen and not worry about, you know, wearing guys down, but um, we're trying to balance that. Uh, obviously, we've got two, you know, of our relievers that were high leverage guys uh, on the IL, Danny Jimenez and and uh, Zach Jackson. So, uh, you know, we're we're evaluating guys that have, have thrown a bit, 
Uh, you know, yesterday was a game where uh, Domingo Acevedo needed needed some time off, and uh, you know we couldn't use him in that role yesterday. Uh, but I think you know going forward, we also have to figure out whether these other younger guys can step in and pitch in those leverage situations. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting because you know you look at a full season for AJ Puck. It's been one of the good stories I've been saying on the post game show a ton. I, I got to not even look at the numbers. The fact that he stayed healthy the entire season has been the success story. Uh, when you look at your big left-hander, how do you, how do you evaluate his year? Uh, I think it's been great. Um, we've brought him along like you talked about. We've built his confidence up. He's in the back end of the bullpen now, where if you ask that question in spring training, where would you see A.J. Puck? Um I don't think anyone in this organization believed that he could be closing games by the end of the end of the season. And uh, and he's shown that he can do that, um, you know, and 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 have success with it. So uh, not only has he been healthy, like you talked about, um, we found, I think, some um, an area where AJ can have success and, and success, hopefully for long term. Let's end on this. It, it, it's, it's really starting to become a special ride for Stephen Vogt here. As we think, we think, we don't know, that maybe this might be it for his career. Um, it's been a fantastic career. I mean, no one would have thought when Billy Bean basically bought him from Tampa that he'd be a two-time All-Star, that he'd be a World Series champion. And there's definitely this view that he could be a manager someday what 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 has this ride been like for you because i know you care so much about him what's it been like it's been amazing uh truly blessed to have him in this locker room amongst this group um also you know just thrilled to be able to give him some opportunity uh in this last month to, to get on the field to take these at bats and you know that home run he hit saturday against the yankees to tie the game uh, you know, that, that'll that stick in my mind for the rest of my managerial career. It's a special moment. Hopefully we get him another opportunity to do the same before the end of the season. And as you said, uh, he hasn't walked in this office and told me that he's taken off the jersey. But um, if this year is his last and he makes that decision before the end of the season, uh, it'd be a special day, uh, that last day of the season, to put him behind a plate and uh and give him his farewell for sure would you be shocked if he's on your staff one day not at all not at all i don't know what direction he wants to go i do know he wants to coach but i don't know how quickly he wants to get into it um you know i know personally myself i jumped right in and uh have enjoyed the ride uh, but uh you know steven's got three young children uh beautiful family there may be opportunity for him to to make impact or, or be there with them but you know, he's a baseball guy, so this is what he knows and this is what he loves. And I don't expect him to uh, to be away from the game for, for very long. I'm betting on media. Watch. He's going to end up in TV. I think you're right. I think I think he'll do some form of an ambassador role and, and, and jump in on the media side. I agree. Did you ever think about that? I don't look as good as you, so I don't think media really looks good. <laughs> <laughs> we not, talk about you could have that Golden Spikes Award behind you. I mean, you could be looking good on TV. I appreciate it, brother. All right. Take Thanks, care. Sir. I'll talk Thanks, to you sir. next week. Sounds good. The great Mark Kotze. 
He could have done TV. It's how they want to stay in the game. You know, a guy like Jim Palmer, who's still to this day, he's doing games. It's amazing. One of the greatest pitchers of all time, one of the greatest players of all time, Hall of Famer, still calling games. It's staying in the game. It's the love of the game, especially as you get older. And, like, all of a sudden, like Scott Hatterberg was talking about, well, you know, I got a youngest who's playing soccer. Well, at some point, she won't play soccer. And all of a sudden, your kids, they're adults, and they get married, and they have their own families. Well, what the hell are you going to do? Like, you got to do something. You just can't sit around all day long. You only can play so much golf. I mean, you got to, you know, what staying in the game and saying it's something that you love and um, pretty cool. I, mean, I think it's important for our game that our beloved players stay in it. I think that's really important. I think it's also really important for what we got going today. Seeing J.P. Sears. J.P. Sears, the start of his career, 5-1 and one with a 2.28 ERA. And by the way, a lot of that ERA, the bad part of the ERA, which there's no bad part at 2.28, but one of the reasons why it's a little bit higher, those were from relief appearances with the Yankees. Like his starter, what's his starter ERA? Um, let me check. And who are they going with today? Uh, Dean Kramer, who's actually having a nice year for them. Um, I think he's six and four with a three two four ERA. I mean, you know, what do you think of starting? Oh, pitch? he's in my notes. Yeah, well, the Orioles bullpen is actually one of the best. Their bullpen is lights out. Kramer's they're, six and four with a three point two four. Yeah, the, uh, they're. I think their bullpen's third best. They the third best ERA in the American uh, League. Yeah, uh, I can tell you exactly. You're wrong. It's not third best? No. I thought the Yankees and Astros were better. Nope. They are fourth best in Major League Baseball. Oh, I said American League. Behind the Astros. Dodgers. Yankees. Dodgers. Yeah. Third best in American League. No. Yeah. But they're fourth best, best in Major League. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, You're trying to not count the rest of baseball. It's they, they, they got rid of their closer, who everyone said, why are you trading him? And they brought in Felix Batista, who is even better. So Baltimore stand at three point one four. Astros are two nine three. Yankees two nine seven, and Dodgers three one zero. What does that mean? I don't know. Yankees have been terrible lately. Yeah, they're not good. They finished the month of August ten and eighteen. I saw a stat that's the most losses in a month for them since ninety one. That's not good. Uh, JP Sears four and one with a one six nine as a starter. Hold on. Use that for pregame. Was it four and one with a one six nine and six starts as a starter? And that, and that counts. That counts Yankees, right? Yes. That was the Yankees start against us. He also, I have it in here in uh, the playbook. JP Sears also pitched against the Orioles on May twenty fifth. He went five innings and, allowed, and struck, struck out five and allowed no runs. Got the win for the. Can Yankees. we let this guy go? I mean that that, that this is going to be, and we're going to talk about this with Eno Saros coming up. Uh, the big question. Bullpens are now officially burnt. And in years past, was September call-ups. September call-ups meant you're bringing up everybody. September call-ups can now not happen. So, what are you going to do? You heard us talk about it 
was it yes? Did we have a show yesterday? We no, didn't, we didn't. Uh, two days ago, where a analyst on MLB Network challenged the Brewers, saying, "Hey, Brewers, your bullpen stinks. You're not pitching your starters as long as you should. So ask yourself the question: Do you want to be in the postseason?" Or do you just want to save your your starters for spring training? What are you going to do? Because what did the Brewers do as well as anybody else the last couple of years? Call guys from the minors for the last month of the year. And now they can't. So their secret sauce of being to call it up a bunch of guys to help out. Here comes the cavalry. Da 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 da. They come riding in on the right horse. They can't come now. You can't ride in on the white horse. Now you got what you got. And you're able to bring up two guys, 26 to 28. And now everybody's like, I'm not so sure about this. I mean, the fact that we even adjust the rosters for the last month of the season, to me, is still a joke. It's better. I know MLB Network, our favorite show, MLB Now Today, will say, it's just right. I don't know of any other sport that plays one way for five months and then the last month of the season does things differently. It actually is crazy. I mean, if there was any sport that should be able to add roster spots because of guys getting hurt, you think would be the NFL. Like, I mean, the war of attrition. I mean, there's so many guys beat up by the end of the season, it's sad. These guys are getting doped up like you wouldn't believe just to play. Does the NFL add roster spots for the last couple months, the last couple weeks of the season? They do not. I mean, it's crazy what baseball has done all these years. It's it's literally crazy. And to listen to baseball people say, yep, I like it. Call people up. Get them experience. Get them this. Get them that. Like, what? You, you, you're playing baseball for five months one way, and then the last month you play by completely different rules? And, and how many of these guys that have been playing in the minor leagues are helping decide how divisions are won? Because a lot of the bad teams call up a bazillion guys. And so now you got these guys that were pitching in the minor leagues are now deciding who wins divisions in Major League Baseball. Does that not sound crazy? Yes, it is. And the fact that we're even allowing two more spots is crazy. Man, you should say this, these are the rosters. It's 25, 26, whatever you want it. And that's what your roster is all season long. And then how about this? Season's over. We know go. We go into the playoffs. Oh, back to normal again. Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. What? So you play one way for five months, change it all for the sixth month, but then postseason you go back, and everybody thinks that's normal. I've always hated it. I've always said, "Whoa, no, no, this is not right." You should have to survive in September with what you started with. You shouldn't be bailed out with a bunch of guys. That's terrible. God, we do stupid stuff in this sport. Stupid. Do you, do you want some to make you happier? Do you want some news uh, notes on JP Sears? He can use for pregame too. You want well, how hitters hit versus changeup and curveball or slider? Well, you brought it up. I yeah, guess you're going to bring I it up. Know. You might as well just bring yeah, it up. I'll educate the, the fan base too if they don't if they don't know. Hitters this year versus JP Sears a slider four for twenty eight. That's a one forty three batting average. Hitters versus changeup four for thirty. That's a one thirty three batting average. And let me give you something that is so typical of modern-day baseball. So you basically just told us what? Um, 
how effective his changeup and slider are. Okay. And then some people are going to go, J.P. Sears is not missing many bats. Just 26 strikeouts and 43 and a third innings pitch. That's a K per nine of just 5.4. So you just said he pitches. Look how little people hit his stuff. But modern-day baseball, they're worried about how many guys he strikes out. I don't know. He's 5-1 and one with a, a 2.28 ERA. Pretty darn good. He's winning. He's successful. Is he striking out the house? No. Do you have to strike out the house to win? No. Newsflash, the ace starters don't strike a lot of people out. You don't have to strike everybody out. There's plenty of guys who strike a ton of guys out, and they got four-plus ERAs. Would you rather have a guy with an ERA under three who gives you a chance to win, or would you rather have a guy that throws 100 miles an hour, four-plus ERA, but he strikes guys out? I'll take the guy, the, the, the first one. Pretty basic. Coming up next, it's the Eno Saris Show. Eno Saris, national baseball columnist from The Athletic, will join us right here on A's Cast Live. The Coliseum has gone by many names, but none better than The Last Dive Bar. Hi, everyone. Ken Korak here, and my friends at Last Dive Bar are helping us celebrate our longtime home. Last Dive Bar has the most unique merchandise for all Oakland baseball fans. T-shirts, sweatshirts, the Ray Fossey line, and my personal favorite, the lights have taken full effect. Visit their website at lastdivebar.com or follow them on social media at Last Dive Bar. All proceeds are invested back into the A's Community Fund and their affiliated charities. Go to lastdivebar.com. That's lastdivebar.com. A's Cast Live continues from the town. Here's Chris Townsend. Sarah's show is sponsored by Fieldwork Brewing Company. With eight taproom locations in Northern California, Fieldwork brings you fresh craft beer direct from the source. Fieldwork will also ship beer direct to your door if you live in California. Visit fieldworkbrewing.com. There you go, Eno. You're official now. Whenever you have the voice lady, get the sponsor before your show. It's now official. Move it on up. <laughs> yeah, really good it. stuff. And we love Fieldwork and love the, uh, love the idea. I mean, who doesn't like beer coming to your front door? Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. And, uh, they're, they're so great because of the, they're just so great across all styles and, you know, it's cool too. Their tap room approach has just been to be like local. They don't really distribute, you know, nationally. They don't worry about that. Uh, you don't really find it in your grocery store. You find it in your neighborhood. So that, that eight tap room approach is like, Oh, they're in San Leandro. They're in San Mateo. You know, you can find them nearby. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it doesn't make it for like, oh, I gotta go 30, 40 minutes away to get my favorite beer. They're gonna they're they're in all these different locations, so they're in your market. Yeah. Yeah. All righty. The big thing for me is I said, having read that book, The Tipping Point, I said earlier this year that basically these front office people have outsmarted themselves. And boy, the smart people don't like to be told that they're not smart. But with their whole data and whatever they got that says that, you know, we need to stop pitching starters long in games and go to new arms and go to the bullpen. I said, this is the year, the tipping point when it falls apart. And you've come out with an article 
that shows teams that do a lot of back-to-backs, teams that do back-to-back-to-backs, how they have fared this year, how they have struggled, and they've had to do that because they don't allow their starters to go long. And now the new wrinkle, which I talked about a long time ago, that's really going to uh, it's really going to show the main issue here, rear its ugly head, as they like to say, <laughs> is they used to be able to call up a bazillion guys from AAA or from wherever in their minor league system with a September call-ups, and like Maybelline, they could cover it up. <laughs> now you can't cover that up anymore. So you got these struggling bullpens who are overworked, and oh, by the way, you know, you got a whole nother month of baseball to go. Yeah, I think you've really hit the nail on the head with that intro. I mean, it's just, uh, it's a lot of things in a lot of different directions coming to a point. And, you know, one of the things is, for example, for a long time, we had starting pitchers go, you know, five and a half, six innings on average. So the bullpen went three. And then some guys in the front office said, wait, wait a second, wait a second. Why do we have starters who have this ERA go six innings when and then relievers who have a run lower ERA go three innings? That doesn't make sense. We should have relievers go more because they're pitching better. So it started to coalesce. And now it's actually to the point where it's about four and a half innings each. (laughs) The starters pitch about four and a half innings and the relievers pitch about four and a half innings. And guess what? Their ERAs are the same. (laughs) <laughs> we've we've wow. pushed it we've pushed it to the point where now relievers and starters are the same because we're asking so much out of our relievers that and so little out of our starters that it's kind of come to the to the point where they're equal um so if you look over there's a chart in my piece uh, about this in the athletic where if you look at if you look at t- over time uh, the number of back to backs the number of back to back to backs and the number of four out plus uh, appearances by both relievers, it just goes up and up and up and up and up. Yes. But if you look at the last three years, back to back to backs have gone down, back to backs have gone down and four out uh, appearances have gone back up a little bit. So there we're in the middle right now yeah. where teams are being like, wow, if we really are going to get four and a half innings out of our relievers every night and <laughs> We can't just call up a guy because the new rule that you're referring to is that you can only option a guy three times before you, you lose him to waiver wire. So if we can't just keep optioning guys, uh, then, you know, we're and we don't want to hurt all our guys, you know, because there's we're getting a little better understanding what what fatigue does, what rest does, you know, what what that needs. Um, we're getting to a point where we can't get any more out of the bullpen. <laughs> like we, we, we've come to a point that's where a big statement right there. Yeah. And you know, we're maxed out. yeah, we're maxed out. We're maxed out. And so there are teams uh, that are trying to develop these uh, two inning guys, right. And three inning guys. And I think that's an interesting idea. So you, in your fourth or fifth starter, maybe you only want them going four. and there's plenty of, uh, of starters that you can think of when you think of this, but maybe you only want your guy going four or five. Maybe James Caprellian is way better if he just goes four, you know, and then you have your long reliever who comes in and he pitches two. Then you get your traditional three innings in the in the back of the, in the bullpen. Um, I like that idea. What the uh, piece explored was that a lot of the teams that were doing that were teams that are in transition, like the Orioles and the Pirates. And so they would, they were trying things out. 
and they they had more leeway. You know, the Pirates, uh, the Giants weren't doing that because they were trying to win every game. You know, the uh, the Dodgers weren't doing that because you know they're they're trying to win every game. So, uh, and then I just I looked at the role of Will Crow, who is a guy who was a starter, started the season as a good two inning guy, and guess what happens if you're a manager and you have a good two inning guy? You're like, well, dude, I want that guy every night, even if you're the Pirates. Yeah, even if you're the Pirates, you're like, yeah. I don't really have a, a setup guy. And you're asking me to, to pitch this guy two innings and then not have him for two days? Nah, dude, if, if we're going to win any game, like, I, I want a setup guy. And so Will Crow, over the course of the season, became a one-inning guy. And he literally said to me, I pitched myself out of the two-inning role. And I think that's something that would happen almost any time. The only guy who's kind of stayed in it all year is Colin McHugh, who's just like a steady veteran on a really good bullpen, right? Like they have Iglesias, they have Matzek, they have Minter, they have, uh, you know, Kenley Jansen. So they can afford to be like, Colin, we want you for two innings. That's what we want out of you. Uh, but if your bullpen has any tightness to it, the manager's like, yo, I need to win tonight. I don't even know. One of my, the guys I talked to for the piece said, we have all these models and we have all these numbers, but the models don't have in it, will I have a job next year? You know, yeah. as the manager. Ooh, see, there's where you start to look <laughs> at a like, and that becomes one of the big rifts in our game right now is you have the front office wants to run everything, but the front office, when it goes bad, doesn't meet with the media every day, doesn't go down to the dugout before and who the they're they going to fire first. And they're not going to fire themselves. Yeah. So this is where it becomes a tough thing. Is like you're listening to these managers, right? When we're with, like, let's say a Mark Kotze or a Gabe Kapler in the Bay Area, and you go down to the dugout and everybody's asking them questions and kind of rolling their eyes because they know the front office is making a lot of these calls. And then after the game, you're talking to the manager, and he's in a tough spot because he's doing what the front offices want. So – they're making all the calls, but yet they don't want to have to answer for them. I, I, at what point, where, where, what do you do as a manager to kind of save your own behind? Uh, you know, I, I, I've been thinking about this personally uh, for, uh, for <laughs> you know, there's some subtext there, but if I've been thinking about this personally, but uh, the job you take is super important. And the, yeah. you know, the promises they make, may, they may break them. They may, they may not, they may be not on board. You know, obviously promises are being broken in Colorado where the research and development part department has quit in mass twice. All of them have quit. All of them have quit in the last Just two years. Out twice. Sophia? Yeah. So obviously there's something going on there where they promise those analytics guys something. And, and then we're like, Oh, maybe can you do some laundry too? So, uh, you know, there's, that's a, that's a whole nother thing, but I think, you know, taking the right job is huge. Um, and, and I think that's something that Joe Madden even said, right. I don't know that I agree with Joe Madden on everything. I think that the manager should be in a collaborative position with the front office and should have his say, but also kind of work with the front office on things like setting lineups and so forth. Uh, and he thinks maybe the manager should have more control over that. However, the thing that he said that really resonated with me was like, I'm not taking another job unless I'm convinced that it fits me. You know, and it fits, it fits what I want out of the job. 
you know, it makes me think of the Golden State Warriors, where it really is everybody pulling on the same rope. And Steve Kerr, they're not telling Steve Kerr, you have to do this and you have to do that. And, and uh, I mean, they work together. It's very healthy with their analytics, their head coach. Their head coach obviously was a GM. He is, uh, he's bought into that. So uh, if you could get every, if you get that kind of mix where everybody's working together, it, it would be good. But I just get the sense we're not seeing a lot of that. And uh, go ahead. You know what, what works against that? Um, so in baseball, you're not, you're not paying as well, especially for analytics and, and for, uh, the, you know, a lot of the front office businesses, you're not playing, paying these people as much as you could in other industries. Right. So an analytics guy could work for a team for 60, 70% of what he could work for, you know, K- KFC, Kentucky fried chicken or PepsiCo or whatever. Right. Google those, or yeah, yeah, exactly. All those guys are going to pay them more. Um, and so what happens is there's a lot of turnover. So some guys, for the love of the game, they'll go in, they'll work in the game. And if they if they find themselves doing laundry instead of doing the analytics they were supposed to do, um, they're out. And so the response in the game has been something called siloing. And so what, what that is, is uh, the Dodgers, the Yankees, a lot of the big places that spend a lot of money on analytics, what they do is, hey, this is your, this is your sandbox you're going to work on this. You're going to model this aspect. You're going to work on this little thing. One thing, you're not going to get to see the whole thing. Because if you saw the whole thing and someone else hired you or you left, you know, what would we do? And so siloing is something that the big teams do in order to protect themselves, to protect uh, their knowledge. And it makes sense from their standpoint. But what you're talking about doesn't really work that well if everyone's siloed, right? And so what you'll have, what happens is like government, this is like top secret stuff and you only get to see this and this yeah. is, you only have clearance for that. Not yeah. everybody gets to see the time, you know, where are the aliens buried? Where are the spaceships? <laughs> you only get to see how, you know, wow, that's kind of, and how do you, how do you have, how do you foster a sense of teamwork and yeah. collaboration if not everybody can see everything? Um, and so what happens then is, you get sort of a directive on high, you know? And I think there we had an example of this recently. The directive on high was Sonny Gray. You throw your high spin fastball high in the zone because we've done the research. Throw it high in the zone. You know, we're going to tell the pitching coach what to do from on high. We're going to say, tell Sonny Gray to throw the high fastball, the high fastball and to throw the slider in the zone. Now, Sonny says, he says it to me later. I did a piece on it at the, at the, at the athletic. Sonny says to me later, I, I, I'm like, a, I'm high spin, but I'm low slot. I, no one's ever taught me to throw high in the zone. I don't really have good command of the fastball high in the zone. You know, I can go there sometimes, but I, it's not my, it's not a wheelhouse. And so he was missing. He was trying to go high. And he was missing middle. And then he said, also, by the way, I don't really throw a slider. You think I throw a slider? I throw a hard curveball. I throw a hard curveball and a softer curveball. And if you're asking me to throw my hard curveball in the zone, the mechanics of it totally change. Like I yank that thing. And that's why it has all that movement. If you're asking me to sort of aim higher, it becomes a cement mixer. And the numbers on a slider uh, in New York were awful. Uh, his command really suffered when he was trying to throw in places he'd never thrown before. And um, I think, you know, I have some sympathy for Larry Rothschild, his pitching coach at the time, because I have no idea what the siloing, what what sort of back and forth there was. Maybe 
he communicated what Sonny was saying to the front office and they ignored him. Uh, maybe there was no line of communication. Maybe Sonny, you know, Sonny could be an irascible guy too. Maybe Sonny just wasn't telling his pitching coach any of this. Uh, but he told me, and so he, he was telling somebody, you know, he was talking well, about he it. He was glad he told you. <laughs> but but it does tell us, but it tells us a little bit about like he had these thoughts. Yeah. If somebody was listening, if there was a more collaborative process, that's the whole thing right there to me is if the manager says something or the player says something, listen. If you say, oh, you know, we figured out that you can you can you can save uh, we can save five runs or we can win one more game a year if you run this route around the around the bases and we put the cones out and and you put the cones out and then an older player says, yo, man, I can't run like this. What are you talking about? I've been playing baseball for, you know, 25 years. You want me to run this thing? Well, blow an ACL. If one person says that to you, you got to be like, all right, all right, all right. Let's 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 soften the lines. Let's do this. Let's let's look at it again. You know, you got to listen to people. And I think that the one place where smaller market teams can actually um, outdo the bigger market teams is teamwork, collaboration, listening to each other. Yeah. In layman's terms, athletes perform better when they're comfortable. You can help them get better. But if you're just sending some edict down from somewhere in this sandbox saying, you must do this because this is what the data says. And as an athlete, you don't feel comfortable doing that in the heat of battle. You know, you just don't go tell Tiger Woods, hey, this is how you should swing the club when you're at the Masters. And, you know, no, Tiger's got to feel comfortable when he's in the heat of battle with what he's doing with the golf ball what a quarterback's doing when he's throwing the football and he's reading defenses and the biggest, strongest, fastest humans are coming to knock his head off. Guys Mm -hmm. gotta feel comfortable. And if data people don't understand that, then you're right. Not working together. And what did, Uh, and what did Cincinnati do with Sonny Gray? Put him together with his college coach. Comfortable. Just said, Hey, here, we'll, we'll put you in front of the machines. We'll try to have a plan, but you know, do it, do you and do you is the best you can do. And we'll try to, we'll be here to help. Uh, this is this is going to be fabulous every single week because, I mean, we're already almost 16 minutes in and we've just been rapping, right? It's awesome. Uh, we'll end on this. I've got I've got people tugging at me. I know how I feel about Judge versus Otani. It's clearly a two horse race. And it was just great for baseball to have them play each other, especially on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday when everybody in sports now is focusing on training camp and all that kind of, you know, the NFL starting college football starting, it was really a good shot for baseball to have Yankees angels, you know, earlier in the week when really no one would care. How should we look at in your opinion, when judging the most valuable player in the American league, how should we judge Otani versus Judge versus Otani, because they may not be apples to apples in a comparison. Yeah, and even as a pitching guy, I don't love uh, pitching wins above replacement. I mean, the easy answer would be that the whole idea of wins above replacement is to sum up everything that the player does on the field and sum it into one number of runs and then turn that into wins above replacement. Uh, the problem is that just judging what a pitcher, how good a pitcher is, is really tough because uh, every ball in play, uh, the, there's teamwork involved. You know, 
uh, the, you know, their defense comes to the plate every time, you know, they let allow a ball in play. And if you ignore all balls in play, then you're also not judging the pitcher very well because he, some pitchers get a ton of ground balls. Some pitchers get a ton of weak fly balls and those things are true. Um, but, um, you know, I, I don't love any one pitching war. I think the Windsor replacement helps us sort of group players. But what you do, what you see when you do that, you add up Shoyotani, what he does, you get about a seven. And when you add up Judge, you get about an eight. So maybe Judge should just get it this year. Um, I don't know. It, it's very difficult because, you know, that that pitching number is, is suspect. Otani is maybe one of the three best pitchers in the American League this year. So if you're in line to be in the Cy Young and also are an all-star as a hitter, why aren't you the MVP every year? Can I give you one thing? I'm just a defense attorney that has to poke holes in everybody's theory. Mm. All right. You're the jury. I've been saying this to people. And when I say it, they go, oh. Because right now, to me, Shohei Otani is the bearded lady at the circus. Everybody wants to go see the bearded lady, right? The bearded lady's great. There was a point where we were all sitting around talking about, oh, my God, Trout and Otani in the postseason. This could be incredible for baseball. All of a sudden, the Angels took an absolute dive. Had a horrible month. Lost 14 straight. Franchise record lost 14 straight. Their season was over. Joe Madden, who you mentioned, now gets fired from his dream job. In that time is when you need your best players, Trout and Otani, to keep you from losing 14 straight games. That's what MVPs do. But it was early in the season, so we've now all forgotten about that. Eno, during that 14-game losing streak, Otani hit a buck 92, Two home runs, four RBIs, and this whole pitcher, oh, he was 0-2 with a 9 ERA. When I needed my guys the most to help my season, and at this point we now realize, save your season, nowhere to be found. Does that sound like an MVP to you? Uh, the numbers have not been able to show that clutch exists. Uh, and also, um, you're looking backwards at a moment. Uh, would you have, would, if, if I told you he had a bad stretch in May, would you say he's unclutch? You know what I mean? Like you're well, looking back at it now and you're saying, I, say this, again, I, I, I don't have to have answers. I'm a defense uh -huh. attorney. I just have to go <laughs> If the Yankees lost 14 in a row and Aaron Boone got fired and Aaron Judge didn't do anything. Well, Aaron Judge hasn't been you know, fully judge in and the Yankees have been well, falling back. That happens throughout the year. But if he had a stretch like that and his manager got fired, how we would highlight that, that also just kind of show the pressure of playing in New York and performing in New York. We now applaud Otani. Oh, he had nine strikeouts against the Rangers on a Tuesday night when nobody mm. cared and they're 20 games out. If Aaron Judge had a stretch like that, for the Yankees, people would have flipped out. For Otani, he had a stretch. His team's out of it. His manager got fired, and no one even remembers. Except me. Yeah, there's an interesting thing that you're talking about, um, which is quality of opponent, which is not adjusted for in uh, in wins above replacement. And, 
Maybe it could be. I think it's I if you do think about it, uh beating up on the Rangers um or you know you know whatever team it is, uh you don't it doesn't look good. Um it does it doesn't look as good as as you know beating the Blue Jays or the Rays in the heat of a, of a race. It's a, it doesn't. And there's one stat that does uh you know sort of sum this up in a really interesting way, which is it's called win probability added. And so what it's asking is uh, who added the most win probability? Like, you know, who who made his team more likely to win? And guess who leads the league? It's Aaron Judge uh, by a ton, uh, by a whole win over Manny Machado and uh, a whole win and a half over Yordan Alvarez. Um, and that? yeah, let me see. It's hard to see because he doesn't doesn't show up at the very top of either. So you have to kind of add them all together. Uh, but uh, Judge has added over almost six wins in win probability added. Um, and Otani has added uh, 1.7 as a batter. And probably doesn't even come close to Judge. No, I don't think so. Wow. Uh, 1.7 as a batter and uh, 2.3. So he's at 3.4. So he's, he's he's below Alvarez. He's he's like fourth in this. Wow. Uh, that 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 thinks about like you know who performs at what time in the game and how important is the situation. So that has a little bit of what you're asking about. But there are no numbers that I know of that really uh, 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 that adjust for quality of opponent in their wins above replacement. All right, let's end on this. We're about to have a heat wave. People still want to drink beer in a heat wave. What is the best style of beer during a heat wave? I'm big on Pilsners. When it's hot, I want a Pilsner. Um, and sometimes it's a little bit bitter for people, but for me, lager is a little bit sweet. There are a lot of pretty sweet lagers out there. So I'm a big fan of Pilsners in the in the heat. I like a little bit of bitter, and it just feels like so like watery, refreshing, and crisp. So I'm, I, that uh, have a pilsner this this heat wave. Yeah, it's tough to go IPAs in a heat wave. It's like, ugh. yeah, they're sweet too, right? But it's just, it's just, it's it's just. There's something about. I mean, it something about lighter that's easier in a heat wave. Yeah, the that's, uh, my, that's my scientific data right there. <laughs> Fieldwork has a Hills and Valley American Pilsner, five percent uh on tap in most places that's that's right there for me five percent this this is going to be awesome you know we can almost we're almost kind of like your guinea pig too it's like whatever you're working on you can throw it at us to see how the reaction is going to be before you go national on the athletic with something i mean you can utilize us as your guinea pig yeah maybe i'll look into quality of opponent and see see how much that changes the american the the american league uh, mvp race you now make this show so much better. We appreciate it, my friend. Have a great weekend, and we'll talk to you next week. Thanks for having me. The Eno Saris Show is sponsored by Fieldwork Brewing Company. With eight taproom locations in Northern California, Fieldwork brings you fresh craft beer direct from the source. Fieldwork will also ship beer direct to your door if you live in California. Visit fieldworkbrewing.com. Remember when they were trying to get all the guys to hit the ball in the air? Remember when that was baseball's next brightest idea? Yeah. The launch angle revolution. Uh-huh. They wrote a book about it. Jared Diamond wrote a book on the Twins. Yeah. How's that working out? 
well, the Twins aren't in playoffs right now, and they were one of the teams that did it. How's that working out overall? Ball in the air. Not great. Home runs are down. Baseball is is figuring out uh, how much. So so here's the deal. Baseball and golf are actually very similar. You're hitting you're hitting a ball, right? But the way that you go about data and equipment, there there's things that are similar. And in golf, there's certain people, mainly teachers, because they make money off videos and lessons, and you know, you want to be that hotshot teacher that teaches guys on tour. They they get into like a certain thing. Like one of the big things now has been shallowing the club, right? Some of you may have no idea what that means. doesn't matter. It's like launch angle. This is a better way to hit the ball. They're always trying to find their niche and making their niche. Like Brian Kinney, our guy BK. BK has tried to make bullpenning his thing and his show's thing. You know, people try and get their fame off an idea, and they run with it, and they run with it till they beat it in the ground. And what baseball is slowly but, do, slowly but surely doing is, is regulating their game. They're figuring out stuff that's not good for their game, and they're regulating it. They're regulating how many pitchers that you can have. We're about to have a pizza pie put from second base in, uh, through the infield dirt. We're going to have lines. Someone said to me, you can be cool with having lines on the dirt on an MLB field. I went, I've spent my entire career watching that. It's called <laughs> the Raiders and the yeah. A's. I've always seen I, I my entire life. Do you not? Does everybody not remember that every single team had this? Name it: Giants Candlestick Park, A's Oakland Coliseum, Mariners in the Kingdom, Pirates of Three Rivers, Padres, uh, 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 Angels with the L.A. Rams, uh, Bengals in Cincinnati, Pirates in Pittsburgh. Miami Dolphins. Well, the Miami Dolphins didn't have it at the Orange Bowl, but they had it when they were in Joe, Joe Robbie. I can go on and on. Didn't the Phillies and Eagles share the Veterans Stadium? Yeah, so did the uh, Vikings and the Twins shared the Metrodome. I've seen lines on a baseball field my entire life. What the hell are you talking about? And if you're telling me we get this pizza pie and all of a sudden base hits back up the middle and line drives back up the middle matter? Oh, I'd love to see that. We're now regulating the game. Seriously, we're regulating the game of baseball against front offices. Can you tell me that I'm wrong? You're not wrong. You're also the the person who said, "Do you know? Can you see lines on the field?" I'm going to be Captain Obvious here, but there already are lines on the field. It's called the foul lines. Well, inside they, play. I know, I know, but I'm just saying on the dirt. I'm being me. I know yeah. it all. So he is, by the way, he <laughs> is. Uh, that that's kind of the deal. Wait, what? One minute. What? We're out. Yeah, it's thirty three o'clock. But how crazy is that? I guess you could say this has happened in basketball. I mean, the basketball at one point took away the dunk in college, right? Because Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was so dominant, right? They've changed rules in hockey to get more scoring, getting rid of the 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 clutch and grab yeah. and all that. Well, they're talking about basketball making the moving the three-point line back even further because of players. You like got to regulate, Curry. but we're 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 regulating the game against the front offices and their ideas is what we're doing. We're not allowing you to have as many pitchers as you want. 
We're now going to regulate against your shifts that you love so much. It's now become, it's not about the players, it's not about the managers, and it's not about the coaches. It's really become the front offices. You know, owners are connected to, to the commissioner, right? I mean, the commissioner works for the owners. It's really fascinating, but the commissioner's office is really battling now against front offices. Yeah, well, it's true. They are. It's crazy. Yeah. And, you know, we've talked a lot about the bullpens. Let's wait. we got a month left. Let's just see how these bullpens, without the reinforcements, how they do. All righty. That's going to do it for A's Cast Live. It's a Friday, right? Yeah, and Labor Day is Monday. We're off on Monday? Yeah, Labor Day. No game either. Oh, I want to work. What are you talking about? We don't work on Labor Day? Oh, we actually have the day off. That's what I mean. There's no game. I don't know what I'm going to do with myself. I'm just sitting in the studio by myself and maybe uh, – you, uh, you could go play 36. Film film a podcast. Why don't you play 36? Talk about the Red Sox and what a disaster they are. Oh, a good article by Ken Rosenthal. Ken Rosenthal. Oh, my God. They got – how would you feel about – oh, my God, run out of time. But how would you feel spending the most money in baseball to see your team and your team's running itself like the Rays? They're in last place in the AL East. Think about that. How last you, place. You have the most expensive tickets in the game, and the guy that you brought in is like, no, 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 we're going to continue to go like the Rays. And then meanwhile, Mookie Betts, your guy's in L.A. doing what he's been doing. He won a World Series. No big deal. Oh, Xander Bogarts, you want him? Yeah. I don't eh, he's probably gone. Yeah. Raphael Devers, see you later. All right, coming up next, A's Total Access right here on A's Cast. Thank you, everybody, for listening and watching to A's Cast Live. We'll see you on Tuesday. The Coliseum has gone by many names, but none better than the Last Dive Bar. Hi, everyone. Ken Korak here, and my friends at Last Dive Bar are helping us celebrate our longtime home. Last Dive Bar has the most unique merchandise for all Oakland baseball fans. T-shirts, sweatshirts, the Ray Fossey line, and my personal favorite, the lights have taken full effect. Visit their website at lastdivebar.com or follow them on social media at Last Dive Bar. All proceeds are invested back into local Bay Area charities. Go to lastdivebar.com. That's Last Dive Bar. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.